You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com. Well, we uh, began last week uh, a two-part series um, well, actually going to be longer than a two-part series, but the, the, what we looked at last week uh, was the necessity of the gospel for human rebellion. So this is uh, uh, part one or two. As we get to next week, we're going to be looking at the necessity of the gospel, uh, particularly for um, those who are religious. And so as we think about what we're looking at today, we're looking at uh, a text that's describing those people who uh, have rejected God. Next week we'll be looking at, uh, next week and the next couple weeks beyond that, we're going to be looking at uh, people who know of God and yet aren't living uh, as they ought. So uh, just keep that in mind as we go through. But last week uh, we began by, by looking at the fact that God's wrath is being revealed. In verse 18 it says God's wrath is being revealed against us and sin demands God's wrath. Our God is holy, He's just, He's perfect in all his ways, and for him to be God, he must punish sin. Sin demands God's wrath. Then we looked at the fact that it's not just a select group of people that the wrath of God goes against. It goes against all mankind, because why? Because all mankind know that there is a God. Uh, Sinners deserve God's wrath was the second point we looked at last week. We see in verses 18 to 20 that there has been a suppression of the truth. Uh, the word picture there was like the, you're pushing down of a spring. A spring is trying to come up and you're pushing down and you're like, you're trying to, to keep the truth from coming out. But the Bible says that every person on this earth knows that there's a God. And as we looked at verses 18 to 20, we've seen that the reason they know there's a God is because creation proclaims it. Everywhere that you look, it screams out that there is a God and that he has divine power. He has eternal power. And so not only have we suppressed the truth, but we've seen in verses 21 to 23 that we have exchanged our worship for God for something else, uh, for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. And so even though we could see is what the Bible's telling us. Every, every, even though we could see that there was a God, we said, like, we're not going to worship that. Instead, we're going to worship whatever we created. And last week, we talked about the, the fact that, you know, you'd, as we looked at Isaiah, uh, taking a, a piece of wood, making a fire, having food on that, and then taking that same piece of wood and then bowing down to it. That's the, the picture here. Idols that cannot help, idols that are, are not gods at all, but yet we worship them. And so that's where we ended off. Sinners deserve God's wrath. Um, Sin demands God's wrath. And this week, as we're going to look at it, we're going to see that that sinners, sinners deserve, sorry, sinners display God's wrath. And so I want us to turn to uh, chapter 1, Romans chapter 1, and we're going to look at verses 24 to 32. Verses 24 to 32. encourage you uh, to look it up for yourself. Uh, Make sure that this preacher is actually preaching from the Word of God, not just kind of making stuff up as he goes. Uh, the Word is our authority, and, and I, I just want us to hear what I just said. The Word is our authority. In the text that we're going to be looking at today, it's not a popular opinion. Um, the things that we're going to be learning here that God says are wrong, the world wants to say are right. And that's infiltrating the church But the Word of God needs to have its authority in our lives if we are truly the people of God. And so as we read this, we read it with reverence. We understand the fact that that these might not be our ways, but they're God's ways. And so we have a choice. We can either submit to them and bring glory to His name, or we can walk in rebellion to them. Those are the two choices that you and I have as we look at the Word of God today. Verse 24 says this, therefore, therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. 
because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up their natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Let me pray for us one more time. Lord God, we recognize that what we've just read is your word. It does not have its being in the minds of men, but Lord, these are your thoughts, your word to us today. And as such, Lord, it is the authority over us. God, I pray this morning that as we study this text that we would feel the weight of it. Lord, it is proper that we would feel the hopelessness as we read these, as we read these verses that we would understand that the things that we're reading about today are what is true of all those who are apart from God. That, Lord, apart from the gospel, there is no hope. God, we're so thankful that many in this room know hope because of Jesus Christ. We know hope because of the fact that, Lord, you came, you lived, you died, and then you rose again. Lord, we're so thankful for your grace in our lives. We're so thankful for your mercy. And Lord, we pray that the compassion that you've shown us would be shown by us, Lord, as we leave this place that, Lord, we would represent you well to a lost and dying world. That, Lord, the hope that we know of will be passed on so that others might be saved. Lord, thank you that the gospel saves and it is your power to reverse the deadly impact of our wicked rebellion. God, would you lead us now? Would you... Speak to us by the power of your spirit, and may we know you more. May we worship you better as a result of our time together this morning. It's your name we pray. Amen. All right, as I mentioned, thinking about verses 18 through 32, we've seen that sinners de sin demands God's wrath. Sinners deserve God's wrath. Now we see sinners display God's wrath. First, they display God's wrath by disordered sexuality by disordered sexuality, the result of the idolatry. That's the, the therefore. Therefore, due to their suppressing the truth about God and turning to idolatry, God has given them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Three times in these verses, you may have noted, that it says that God gave them up. That God gave them up. What is it that the Lord is doing? What does it mean that the Lord gave them up? Uh, the word here is parodidomai. It's to hand over to or to convey something to someone, particularly a right or an authority, to give over, to hand over. Here we're seeing that God is handing them over to their lusts of their hearts to impurity. Uh, some think this is passive, that basically God's restraining power is taken away and man, mankind just kind of goes their way. Now, their wickedness is just kind of left unchecked. Godet puts it like this, 
God ceased to hold the boat as it was dragged by the current of the river. So instead of God withholding, withholding us from sin, he is just letting us go. However, as we see the way this is written, it is written more in an active sense. God is actively handing us over. Moo puts it like this. God did not simply let the boat go. He gives it a push downstream. Like a judge who hands over a prisoner to the punishment his crime has earned, God hands over the sinner to the terrible cycle of ever-increasing sin. God hands the people over to ever-increasing sin. In other words, the punishment of sin is sin. It might be like, I don't know what your parents were like growing up, but, but maybe you decided it would be a great idea to smoke, you know? I got to try those cigarettes. They, they smell real yummy. <laughs> Not really, but anyways. But, right, you decided it would be a good idea to smoke, and so your parents catch you and, and that you have been trying to smoke, and so what they do as your punishment would be like this. Then you're going to smoke the whole pack right in front of me right now. Right? You, thought, you think this is a good idea? Here, go ahead. Smoke them right now. In the same way, God is saying, I'm giving you over to your sin, that you might fully see what sin does and how it destroys. S. Lewis Johnson says, here, there is no coercion of humanity. Men and women remain responsible and can even be said to be giving themselves over to uncleanness while God gives them up to the judgment of their sin. Here we see the wrath of God being unveiled in his abandoning us over to our sin. Note, he gives us over to the lusts of our hearts to impurity. The source of the lusts are not out there. The source of the lusts are right here in our hearts. Now, Jesus says this in Matthew 15, 19, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. When a person hardens their heart and suppresses the truth about God and turns to idols, we see that the impact of that is immorality, sexual impurity. In fact, many of the nations that Israel was tempted by had idolatry going on. They'd have these false gods, and, and over and over again, their false gods came with sexual impurity. And part of the worship of these gods oftentimes were things like orgies. And Stott says this, a false image of God leads to a false understanding of sex. A false image of God leads to a false understanding of sex. And so God gives us over to the lust of our hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of our bodies among, among ourselves. It's so true in our society today. As we have chosen to reject God, chosen to say, hey, we don't need you, we don't believe in you, we have ourselves, we have our creation that, that we, we're going to worship We see, we're seeing an increase and an increase of immorality, of impurity. I'm getting a little bit older. It's been a while since I've been in college, like 30 years or so. But uh, an article came out this last week, um, Faith Beyond Belief, talking about the hookup culture at universities. And the idea of the hookup culture is that you would have sex with no attachments. You meet a stranger, you don't even really chat, you don't talk. It's just like you're just, you know that you're there for one reason only, and that is to have sex. No talking about it afterwards, no, no like, hey, I'll give you a call. It's just like we hooked up and we moved on. Really popular, apparently, in universities today. It's been going on for a while to the point where they're starting to see the results of that. A lot of disillusioned people thinking that this is somehow going to satisfy them. It's not satisfying. Many people are disillusioned. 
That's where our society is going, though. Less and less restraints when it comes to sex. I remember, again, when I was in high school, late 80s, if you moved in with someone, they called it shacking up, right? Even, even the secular world was like, yeah, not a great idea, right? You should get married. But no, now it's totally reversed. Uh, many people think you're crazy if you don't first live together before you get married. When it comes to sex, there are less and less boundaries. More and more encouragement to do whatever you want. And in that, we're seeing a degrading of the body over and over and over again. Bodies are now just seen as objects. Objects for someone's pleasure. In a country that's turned its back on God, there is no longer one man, one woman for life when it comes to sexuality. The result is a degrading of the body, as the scriptures say here. No longer is there respect and honor between the sexes. Pornography, obviously, has been a big part of that. It used to be that you had to go to a a little store in the wrong side of town to seek out pornography. Now it is everywhere, easily accessible, and it is changing the way that men and women view one another. Even talking about this hookup culture, they're they're saying that pornography has been a big part of that. Stott says here, Paul does not tell us what kind of immorality he has in mind, except that it involves the degrading of their bodies with one another. He is right. Illicit sex degrades people's humanness. Sex in marriage, as God intended it, ennobles it. Choose to sin, choose to suffer. When God warned about sin in the Garden of Eden, he said that if you do sin, it will result in destruction. It will result in death. But when we turn our backs on God and we worship idols, we twist all that is good. Sin may taste sweet for a time, but in the end, it will lead to death. We've been thinking about our pursuit of sin, our pursuit of sex in our society, billions and billions of dollars trying to help people avoid the consequences of their sin. Sexually transmitted diseases, abortions, trying to remove the consequences of our sin. Sin will continually leave you feeling empty and never satisfied, and it will enslave you. Thomas Watson said this, sin puts gravel in our, in our bread and wormwood in our cup. And the Bible warns here that idolatry leads to immorality. And sadly, it's not just out there. We're going to talk more about this next week. I want you to know that. I want you to be aware of that. We're going to, we, we're going to be talking more about this next week because and when you get to next week, it's like there's those of us who know God who are kind of like, yeah, those people... And Paul's like, really? You're saying those people, you who judge? So that's, com- that's coming next week. But this week we want to focus on the, the, those who are lost, those who do not know the Lord. Verse 25 says, Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. How is it that all this immorality, impurity happens? It's be, by turning away from God. Why was it, why is it seemingly getting worse and worse and worse? It's because at one point, this country honored God, honored his word. And as that is turning away, we're seeing an increase in impurity, as, as has been the case century after century after century in this world. When we exchange the truth about God for a lie, we then turn and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. I don't think it's any coincidence that we see this worship of creation happening on a weekly basis in our world today, right? What's the focus? Mother Earth, right? 
We have to save Mother Earth. We love her. We, look what she does for us. It's, it's a turning away from anything about God and turning towards a worship of creation. And so we're seeing this over and over again. I love how Paul, he just can't stop himself by, about worshiping God. He's saying, hey, the creator, and then right automatically he says, who is blessed forever? In other words, he's saying, who is worthy of praise forever? Creation is not worthy of praise. God was the one who made creation. He is the one who is worthy of praise forever and ever. We see here the, the flow of grammar once again highlights what happens due to people's idolatry. Verse 26, for this reason. You see this back and forth. Worship idols, refuse to worship God for who he is. Here's the consequences. Sexual impurity. Now he goes again into another, to, to more sexual impurity. Verse 26, for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For the women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up their natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing, the, committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. They've not only exchanged, we see this word exchange, not only exchanged their worship for what ought to be the, the Lord God and instead for idols, they have exchanged sex the way God created it and twisted it. Men sleeping with men, men, women sleeping with women. The idea of one man, one woman for a lifetime totally twisted. And we see this over and over again as we go through the text here. This twisting. Interesting, as we look at these verses, Paul uses the word male and female. He's taking us right back to Genesis 1 and 2 and saying this is the way it ought to be. One man, one woman. But as men and women have turned their backs on God, They've taken even what he created to be good, sex between one man and one woman, and twisted it to be the sin of homosexuality. What I find interesting is that we think about this text, and even as we're coming up to it, this was the focus, right? Like, oh, what about that homosexual piece? And it's as if... The whole other part of what God has said about sexual impurity is like, the world is like, it's not, we're, not even, we're not even talking about that anymore. We know that that has no impact on our lives whatsoever. Sex is good. We can do it however and whenever we want. Now, the real focus is that the church is saying that homosexuality is a sin. That's what we're going to focus on. And so we see this battle in our world right now where the world is saying, no, it's not wrong. It's good. Even, even as, I, as I studied this week, trying to reinterpret the Bible. When they talked about the natural here, we're seeing that it is rooted in creation. That which is natural, one man, one woman together, instead now has become man with man, woman with woman. It's unnatural. But what some commentators have come along and said, well, no, no, no. Like, it's like this. When you think about what, what comes natural to you, like, what's your, you know, when you think about your life, what comes natural to you? Well, I kind of like this, and I kind of like that. And so when we think about what comes natural to us, maybe you were born with heterosexual desires. That's natural to you. Maybe you were born with homosexual desires. That's natural to you. And so they're saying that's what it's talking about. So if a heterosexual who then would have a homosexual relationship, that's what's wrong twisting the scripture. That's not what it says. Homosexuality is an inversion of what is natural, of what the way God created things to be. Moose says this, and labeling the turning from the natural use to that which is against nature is an exchange. Paul associates homosexuality with the perversion of true knowledge of God already depicted in verses 23 and 25. In addition, we must remember that the clause in question is the description of sinful passions, a phrase plainly connoting activities that are contrary to God's will. 
When these factors are considered, it is clear that Paul depicts homosexual activity as a violation of God's created order, another indication of the departure from true knowledge and worship of God. Catch that part. Another indication of the true nature, of the departure from true knowledge and worship of God. Just as a heterosexual person having sex with many people is sin, so this is sin as well. The Bible never condones the lifestyle of homosexuality. Men or women may be tempted to pursue the sinful choice, but the Bible says it is sin, as Paul puts it here. It is a way of twisting that which God has created. The claim among many today is that people are born with this same-sex desire and that there's nothing they can do with those feelings. The Bible would agree with this to an extent. We're all born with evil and wickedness in our hearts. And some of us are tempted in one way and others of us are tempted in another way. We're all born with a sinful inclination. But the Bible warns us not to pursue that sinful inclination. Paul uses some strong words here, dishonorable passions, shameless acts, and then he warns at the end of the verse that they receive in themselves the due penalty for their error. Moose says this, Paul may suggest that the sexual perversion itself is the punishment. On the other hand, this could be a vivid way of saying that those who engage in sex activities will suffer eternal punishment. They will receive in their own persons God's penalty for violation of his will. This punishment, Paul says, was necessary by which he probably means that God would not allow his created order to be so violated without there being a just punishment. Now, the scriptures are clear that homosexuality is a sin. In 2020 in Canada, we kind of act like this is a new thing, that, that homosexuality is a new thing. And yet, as you go through the scriptures, we see that it has been around really almost since the beginning. As you look at the law, that you see in the law that there was a warning in the scripture not to commit homosexual acts. In Sodom and Gomorrah, God judged them due to their homosexuality. As we get to this text, we see that Paul is warning the, 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 the society not to, or sorry, warning the believers not to take part in homosexuality. Why? Why is he talking about it in year 60 when we kind of act like it's something that's new? Well, it's not new. Boaz says this, homosexuality was rampant in the Roman Empire. 14 of the first 15 emperors practiced homosexuality and represented perhaps the greatest offense to Jewish sensibilities. As Jewish and Gentile believers in the church in Rome looked around their society, they would have seen homosexuality practiced and encouraged at every turn. Not unlike our society today. In fact, there's, this, there's almost like this, this lifting up where it's, it's a perverted lifestyle to that of a heterosexual. And so we have to be careful to say what the scriptures say. It is a sin. It is not the sin. It is a sin. And if we're going to be loving, we have to state it as such. Now, there was a survey put out, and millennials tend to get picked on, so I'm not, I'm not saying this is just millennials. But 49% of millennial Christians think that people are born with same-sex attraction and that homosexuality should be accepted by the church. Almost half the church believes that. 40% think that gender is fluid and that your gender can be different from the sex that you were born with. How is that happening? How is it happening that we're just saying, yeah, when it comes to that, in Romans chapter 1, that, that doesn't apply to today. Well, here's something I, I've been thinking about. As I've been thinking about this whole situation, even like 40 years ago, not many Christians knew someone who was homosexual. 
No one, you know, if, if, if someone struggled with those desires, it was really kept silent, which was sad. But today, if we were to go around the room, I think everybody knows someone. Some are close friends, some are relatives. And as we've got to know those people, we love them. And we know that the struggle they have is a, is a great one. And so we begin to start to rationalize in our minds. We start to think, well, maybe, maybe it is okay. You know, as I, as I hang out with them, they're really nice people. In fact, you know, nicer than some of the Christian people I know. So, so you know, like maybe, maybe it's okay with God. You know, maybe it was just Paul was like, you know, he's just kind of off track and, you know, you know, there was like blood sacrifices and everything going on in the Old Testament. I think we just kind of closed that whole chapter and, right, and we rationalize. We begin to think that maybe, maybe it's okay, but listen, it's not okay. No different than, than, than a heterosexual couple living together before marriage and, and having sex together. Homosexuality is not okay with God. And the loving thing is to tell people that. It's not to love them into eternity and hell. And my heart breaks for people who are enslaved in that sin. And I recognize this morning that even in this congregation, there are some who are wrestling with same-sex desire. But it would be unloving to say that that desire is okay. That 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 you should pursue that desire. The word is the authority. Our culture is not the authority. The church is not the authority. The word of God is the authority. And God does not change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And we're seeing the wrath of God being revealed by a disordered sexuality. Sadly, I feel like it's just begun when it comes to our culture. And unless there's a turning back to God and recognizing who he is, I think we're going to see twisted things when it comes to sexuality, unlike that we've ever seen. And it's already beginning did you know that there's a movement already where saying if you have feelings towards a child, if you're sexually attracted to a child, then that's okay too. Maybe that child is attracted to you as an adult and it should be okay. Let's do away with that now as well. And more and more we're going to see in our society if we do not turn back to the one true God. And the wrath of God is being revealed this way. The second way that we're seeing the wrath of God being revealed is by a declining morality. By a declining morality. It says, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Again, we see this when we choose not to worship God for who he is, there's this giving over to our sin. This time to a debased mind, a, a mind that is, that is not thinking what is right, appropriate, or fitting. Thinking that which is bad. In rejecting God, mankind is given over not only to sexual sin that is in their hearts, but to every kind of evil that exists in the human heart. This list that comes right after, 20, 21 different vices that the idolater, the idolater pursues. Everything that God says is right, they call wrong. And they wholeheartedly walk in rebellion against God and his commandments. Their minds are worthless when it comes to morality. When you think about what Jesus said, he said what? The whole Old Testament could be summed up like this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then love your neighbor as yourself. All of this sums up the law. And as we look at this list, and we see 
people who have turned away from loving God and of loving idols, we see that they hate one another as a result of it. Paul begins by highlighting the general wickedness of those who have rejected God. They are filled, not just a little bit, they're filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, and malice, right? Filled, every kind, every sort of. Reminds of what God says in Genesis 6, 5, the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Filled with all kinds of unrighteousness and evil, coveting what others have, and when they don't do not have it, they, they hurt in order to get it. Filled with all kinds of malice. This this form of wickedness delights in harming others. Then there's the next five sins that speak directly of sinning against one another, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. Again, note the word full. Envy, wanting what others have, could be their possessions, could be their reputation, could be, could be their family, could be someone's wife. It's wanting what someone else has. Murder. First murder, you get to Genesis 4. Why? Because Cain envied Abel. Strife. People continually at odds with one another, quarreling and wrangling. Deceit, lying, not caring. Thinking that by saying what, saying what I want, people will like me. And so I deceive them. Maliciousness. Once again, Paul is highlighting the person who is out to harm others. Then he gets into this 12 more, uh, 12 other sins. The first two are sins of the tongue, gossips. Whispering lies, whispering rumors, whispering truth, maybe, about someone behind their backs. Then they're the slanderers. This is not whispering. It's like straight out, listen, did you hear this about so-and-so? Slander them openly, trying to destroy someone's reputation. Haters of God. Haters of God. Boy says this, not many people would admit that they hate God choosing rather to think of themselves as rather tolerant of him. But nowhere do they show their hatred more than in condescending, their condescending attitudes. Scratch beneath the surface, allow something to come into their lives that they consider unwarranted or unfair, and their hatred of God immediately boils over. How could God let this happen to me? If they could, they would strangle him. Yeah, I don't believe in God. Yeah, I don't, I don't think there really is a God. You know, you can believe that there's a God. That's totally fine. And then something happens in their life like, what kind of a God does this? Right? Showing what? They know that there is a God, but they hate him. They love their wickedness. They're insolent. Here it's a pride against God. Pride against God. They're haughty and boastful. Here they're convinced of their superiority and bragging about all that they've done. Inventors of evil. Think about our society, all the so-called advancements we're making. Well, just giving us greater accessibility to evil. Quicker, a quicker accessibility to evil. Greater abandon to it. Disobedient to parents. Seems like, oh really? This is in the list too? Yeah. Showing even in the home, there's this turned upside down thing happening. Where children should obey their parents. They're not. They're walking in rebellion against them. And you look at society today, and most parents are like, well, what are you going to do? I'd like to try to get them to do what I want them to do, but I really can't get them to do what I want them to do. So, like, whatever. What am I going to do? Disobedient to parents. Then this last list, they're all negatives. Foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. I like the way Stott put it. Without brains, honor, love, or pity. Without brains, honor, love, or pity. People who have foolishly rejected God, who cannot be trusted, who have no love, pity, or compassion towards their fellow man. 
That is a society given over to their sin. That is a society under the wrath of God. That's the society that we live in today. And will so ever increasingly as we turn our backs on God. Here's the irony. Does society see it? No, they say what? We're all basically good people. We're all basically good people. God is the one who is wrong. We are the, one who are, we are the ones who are right. Our society is only going to get better and better as we do what we want. And instead, this is the picture. This is what happens. Destruction of one another. No one can trust anybody anymore. We're seeing the wrath of God being played out. So we see the wrath of God by disordered sexuality, by declined morality. Lastly, we see it by defiant depravity. Defiant depravity. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, not only do they do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. Everyone has a sense of right and wrong. God has formed in us a conscience We can try to sear it. We can try to harden it. But deep down, everybody knows there is a right and there is a wrong. We can try to rationalize and and try to suppress the truth. But at the end of the day, you know what is right and what is wrong. And you know that those who do those things deserve to die. That they should be judged accordingly. But in our society, we not only do them, but then we give heartily approval to everyone who does do them. It's almost as if this, if we can just get everybody to think like us, maybe I can shut off my conscience. If I can convince the entire world that, that black is white and white is black, then, then maybe I can soothe my conscience. But it's never going to happen. And I think there's going to be an increase in hostility against the church. Anyone who would dare say, this is what God's word says. Sin is sin. They're going to say, well, we've got to get rid of those people. We've got to shut them up. Because I don't feel good when they say that. It actually hurts my feelings when they say that. And I just think they're hateful. And we have a government, and sadly, we have churches that are saying, just keep doing it. It's okay. Just follow us. Just keep walking in your sin. And all along, we're going like this to God, shaking our fists at God. When you get to the book of Revelation, there's not people who are like, what? There's a God? I never knew. What you see is this. I know there's a God and I hate him. And I will do whatever it takes to try to destroy him. I'm going to join the Antichrist because he thinks that we can somehow defeat him. And so I'm joining in the effort. This is the true wickedness of mankind. There's no such thing as innocent people walking around, mainly good. When you, when you read this text, you, you just, there's a hopelessness, isn't there? This is us. This is every one of us, apart from the grace of God. Not Mainly good people, just in need of a hand up. Wicked, wicked people who take everything that God says and twist it. Who follow after Satan rather than God. Because we love our sin more than we love God. That's who we are. As we leave this place, 
those are the people that we're encountering on a daily basis. So where's the hope? Is there any hope? I mean, is this list of the wrath of God being revealed, is this it? Is it over at that point? Is everyone damned for eternity? No, that's not the case. This is the whole point that Paul is trying to make. Listen, remember verse 16? For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Can I show you why there's a need for salvation? And that's what he's just shown us in verses 18 to 32. Listen, the wrath of God is going to come against all these people, and they desperately need the gospel. Instead of you keeping your mouth shut and trying to stay out of trouble, you need to be bold and call sin, sin. When you have a friend, they're like, yeah, I think I'm going to move in with my boyfriend. Eh, not a good idea. It's sin. When you see people slandering, when it's seen in the church, we need to confront one another. And as we're going to talk about next week, sin cannot be amongst us. This continual progression of sin. Now you're like, well, wait a minute, Pastor. I still sin sometime. But it's not a lifestyle of sin. Because of what God has done. He's given you a new heart and a new mind. You became a new creation in him. And this is the point of 1 Corinthians 6. Turn there as we close this morning. 1 Corinthians 6. And Paul says here in verse, verse 9, 1 Corinthians 6 verse 9, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor idolaters, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And then listen, what does it say? And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the Spirit of our God, the gospel has the power to save. No one can, is, is, is exempt from the power of the gospel to save. And so you and I have the glorious opportunity to go to people who are in desperate, desperate need and tell them that Jesus Christ has come, that they might have life. God stepped in. Without God stepping in, that's all we have, 18 to 32. A world destroying itself, and in the end, destined for hell. The best that, listen, the best that the unbeliever has is this earth. There is no heaven waiting, only hell. For the believer, this is the only hell we will know. But this list in 18 to 32 is just a taste of the damnation, of the wickedness of where they're going. But God sent his son. He lived the perfect life. He hung upon a cross. And as he hung on that cross, this wrath of God was poured out on Jesus for my sin, for your sin. The power of sin and death has been defeated through Jesus Christ. His blood was shed so that our sins might be forgiven. This is our hope this morning. Is it your hope today? I don't know where your hearts are at today, but I'm praying that you know this hope, that you don't have to live a life enslaved in your sin, but Christ can free you if you would repent and turn to him today. And then you can have life, life abundantly, and enjoy all the good things that God has for those who are his people. To experience the goodness of walking in obedience to him as we can through the power of his spirit. In a moment, we're going to partake in communion together. And as we do, we remember that we have hope today because of what Christ has done. I hope that you felt the weight as we're going through those verses. 
it is right to feel the weight of that because that's what we've been saved from. And that is the hope that we have to offer to the world. But we celebrate together. We say we are part of the body of Christ as we partake of communion together this morning. But it is only for those who have placed their hope and trust in Jesus Christ. There's only one way to be freed from your sin. is by turning from it, repenting of it, and placing your trust in Jesus Christ. So I'm going to pray. And after I pray, there's going to be folks that are going to come and they're going to, they're going to um, just help put out the, the cups. Over here to my left is the gluten-free table. Okay, so if you have a gluten allergy, that's the table you need to go to this morning. But I want you to examine your own heart before you come up this morning. Am I walking in idolatry in any way? Is there impurity in my life? Am I failing to worship God for who he truly is? Then repent of that this morning. Find forgiveness in him. And then you come and you renew your hope and you renew your trust as we will partake together in the Lord's Supper. So let me pray for us. Lord God, we are thankful that you have saved us. Lord, truly, all of us, we're walking and rebelling against you. We were shaking our fists at you. We hated you. And yet, you sent your son to die for us. And by your spirit, God, you opened our eyes to see your love. You opened our eyes to see that we could be forgiven if we placed our trust and our hope in you. That we could be, have new life, that we could have new hearts and new minds if we would place our trust in you. God, I thank you for all those you have saved in this room. All those who are watching online. But God, I would pray this morning if there's anyone here who is not saved, who's never placed their trust in you, God, would you bring the conviction of sin into their hearts, but then, Lord, would you also show them that you love them, that you have made a way that they might be saved. And, Lord, may they be, receive that faith today that would, get, would, get, would place their trust in you. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you first loved us. It's your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. For more information about our church, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com.